Okay, everyone, everyone good this morning? Yes. Everyone's all set? Great. Yes? Great. Never change the ratio. It's wonderful. <laughs> it is It is interesting. I, I know which greeter likes their caffeine in the morning by who makes the coffee. I'm like, oh, wow. We're a little soft on the caffeine this morning. Someone's already awake and just fine. They woke up in a good mood. But no offense, Caitlin. Not that you woke up in a bad mood. But um, Okay, let's, let's do this. Let's talk briefly about last, last week. Okay, so what happens in the story in Acts last week? Where, um, let's go end of chapter 12, beginning of 13, kind of what takes place in the story. It's kind of a recap. <laughs> You've made too much eye contact, you know what I mean? You can't do that. Yes, it is. Well played. Someone help him out. I'll make him do the whole thing. Well done, though. Thank you. Yeah? What else? What happens at the beginning of chapter 13? Yes. Where from? The church at Antioch. Right. What's, what's unique about the church at Antioch? Anyone remember? Rather, they're first called Christians there, right? They're, they're called little Christs or, or representations of Christ or like this, this heir of Christ there. That's the beginning, right? What else? What else about the people there? What, how would you describe them? Were they Jewish? They were very diverse. Mm-hmm. Extremely diverse, right? They had people from different cultures, different nationalities, different countries. There's what nationalities means, I guess. So they're, they're <laughs> doing that. Um, some were Hellenist, right? So they're Greek. They're not all just Jews from other countries, right? So it's very, very unique situation in Antioch, right? And then um, they get called Christians here, and then what happens? As the church is praying together, the leadership is praying, what happens after that? <clears throat> Go for it. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, he's like, go send them out, right? Does it say where in the story? No. He's like, no, I have something for them. You need to send them somewhere else, right? And so what does the church do? They say, that sounds amazing. <laughs> You've been called out to go. <laughs> You're leaving, all right? So they gather around, place their hands on them, and they just send them off. And that's how the story goes, okay? So let's pick up there, and I'll, I'll kind of read that part. For us again. Now there were at the church at Antioch, it's just in, in verse 1, uh, prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Menaean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Right? And that's, that's what we know as far as what 
Luke writes to us, this is all we know of what they're expected to do now. They're just supposed to go somewhere else, right? So they send them off. Next verse in in verse 4 says, So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they came down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, which is a town in Cyprus, it's a coastal town, they proclaimed the word of of God in the synagogue of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. Now, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from his faith. Okay, let's pause right here because there's a lot, a lot going on that we just kind of go over. So and this is kind of... So I want to I hit a few things. We're going to talk about this interesting meeting he has with this magician that's pretty interesting and kind of extraordinary. But before that, I want us to focus on a few things throughout this first kind of missionary journey as we go, especially today, that I think will be important to us, um, where we're at as normal folks. And so here, here are some of those things. So they're sent from the Holy Spirit. Um, they go to Seleucia. And from there, they sell to Cyprus. Okay, Cyprus. Do we know anything about Cyprus at this point? Do we remember? There's like one thing we may have remembered in passing from like weeks ago. Anyone? It's an island, but what else about Cyprus? Barnabas is from there. He grew up there. So I think it's interesting where they go is they, they, they sail to this port, or they go to this port city, travel there. They sail um, away from Antioch, and they go to this place where one of them is from, which to me makes so much sense. It, it's almost, it's not easy because where you're from is not always where you're greeted. Remember, Jesus talks about this. He's like, yeah, prophet in his own hometown is, is not a prophet. You know, he, he doesn't find love there. He doesn't find people there that believe he's a prophet. They know him too well, but that's where they go. So in this first leg of the journey, it's, there is, there is something about where they're going that's common to them. It's normal to Barnabas, right? It's like if we took a missionary journey to Harleton, Texas. It would be extremely strange to all of you, I promise you. That town of a thousand people would weird you all out. But me, I would be completely comfortable there, unfortunately. <laughs> a little too comfortable there. But, but that's kind of where we're headed. And so again, where, wherever you're from, that's where they're going, or at least where your friend is from. I I know I remember in, I mean, it's a long time ago now, but I remember you would do those road trips to see your friends in college, right? Your your friend is going to go home for whatever holiday that's random, and you don't want to go to your house because it's crazy, and so you go with them to their house. And it's very strange to you because you're not from there. I remember one time I went to, um, oh, man, I had the name of the town in my head too. Uh, Where's the Rattlesnake Festival? In what? Sweetwater. I went to Sweetwater once to visit my friend for vacation near Thanksgiving. It was absolutely the weirdest festival type of thing I've ever been to in my entire life. There are, I'm not, it's, it's kind of weirding me out now talking about it, Joe. This should not have been the example. There's like thousands of rattlesnakes that they just go catch for kicks. They just go catch them and they bring them to this, this like convention center, like barn thing. And it's, like I'm saying, I'm not saying a convention center barn thing to make fun of them. It's a barn-like thing, which is very strange. And then there's like vendors outside, you know, that are selling little 
snake things or whatever. And you go and you walk in and it's so loud because of all the rattling that it weirds you out so bad. So anyway, I go visit him though. And he's been a hundred, not a hundred times, however old he is, 19 times or whatever it is. And so he's showing me around, oh, this guy, yeah, he always, he's, he's the best rattlesnake catcher in the city or the town or whatever. He always wins first place. And this sounds like, there's a, there's a prize for you for being the most ridiculous human in your town. You get a prize for being like the one that shouldn't get a prize. There's a prize for you here. And so anyway, we go through this whole thing. So it's very weird to me and odd. He was just in his element. It wasn't strange to him. He's like seeing it through my eyes, but to him, it's fine. And then I bring him to East Texas, where there's actual trees and not like West Texas. And it totally weirds him out. He's like, do you ever get scared of like being in the woods? I'm like, no. I get scared of going to rattlesnake pits in a warehouse. <laughs> but this is fine, too. If you're weirded out about this, we have conversations to have, right? But just, just, again, this idea of them going where this guy grew up, I think is important for us to catch. Okay. It's important for us to catch that, that yes, this first missionary journey is, is beautiful. And there is adventure and intrigue, and it's neat, and it's like new to them because they haven't had much of this yet, right? They don't, they're not just randomly sending people to start churches everywhere. Remember the traveling they've done and the sending out that's happened has been from persecution so far, right? So, so on this missionary journey, we can, in our heads, in our, our if you grew up in church, it's this overly holy event, right? To where, you know, it's this, this new thing every day. And it's so amazingly just Holy Spirit-led, which it still can be. But again, remember, the guy's just going where he grew up. He knows the metalsmith there. He, like, is, is visiting people that, you know, were his childhood friend that lived maybe across the street, perhaps. Something like that. It's, it's also sort of normal. And we need to remember that. And then, as their normal custom, what do they do to start off? When they go through that island, they, uh, or it says they proclaim the, the word of God in the synagogues to the Jews. So also, normal practice, on the day of the synagogue gathering, they would go and enjoy it. And because he's from there, he would be celebrated to be there. He would be this guy that's moved away and now he's back. And it was a custom in Jewish synagogues at the time to where if there's someone who, is, who had been educated in scripture, in the Torah, in the Old Testament, what they would do is they would, they would offer for them to come speak. And so it would be very, again, very customary and very normal for them to get to have a chance to speak at the synagogue. Again, something that would happen if they went almost anywhere that people knew, especially who Paul was, because he was a very learned Jewish man. He was very, very educated. He was studying under the Jewish man to study under in that, in that learning. And so they would be welcomed. He would get to teach. And this would be, again, normal. It would be fine. It would be something that everyone would expect. Then we get the non-normal. <laughs> and when they had gone through the whole island, teaching in synagogues, they reach as far as Paphos when they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that's the meaning of his name, opposed them, 
seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So there's a lot in here. So in their teachings across the island, the proconsul, who, does anyone know what a proconsul is? What would that be in this town or on this island? What would, why would, why would he have this title? Do we know? He is. He's, he's the Roman guy that answers directly to the Senate, even, on this, in this region. So it's not just like this is his island to kind of make sure it follows the laws. This is his region, and he would answer directly to the Senate however many times you're the day. I should know, probably, but I don't, I don't remember how often they would go do that. So he's fairly important. He's probably extremely educated. Um, he, had a, he probably has a family history of, of a lineage of education, of wealth, of importance, of this title, of this position, right? And so he hears on the island that this new message is being taught, and apparently it's intriguing enough for him to invite them there, okay? So again, we have this normal, they're going throughout the, the island teaching in synagogues, and then you have this like, interjection of the Holy Spirit opening up this door that is absolutely not normal, that a proconsul would want this religious teacher to come and speak directly to them is not something that would normally happen. So I'm sure in the midst of the story, they're excited to do that, right? Like you, you go on this missionary journey, the first one, you don't know to call it a missionary journey yet, and you're going, and it's wonderful. They've sent you off. You're doing these things. You're teaching. You're finding you know, maybe some success. Maybe people are glad to hear you teach. And then you get a letter from the pro-council to come and, and teach just to them. Again, I'm sure they're excited. I'm sure they've been praying over what, how should we start? What should we say? What should this message be like? What's he going to ask? Is he going to be receptive to the gospel of Jesus that we're presenting? This is exciting. This could open doors for the future. I mean, all the dreams they would have for that, just like us in, in this, whatever missionary journey you, you have been on or could put in your head, the leader of the region, the leader of the state asks you to come. Hey, I've heard about your message and it's intriguing. Please come tell it to me. You'd be elated. It'd be great. In the midst of that, though, this magician named Bar-Jesus, which means, and I, this is interesting to me. It doesn't have a ton of bearing on the story, but it's interesting. Bar-Jesus means son of Jesus. And apparently Luke does not want to call this person that because the next time, does he say Bar-Jesus? He's like, no, his name's Elias. It's not Bar-Jesus. The, the name really is Elias, uh, or Elias in Greek. We're not calling him this anymore. We're not, he's not son of Jesus here. It's a different name. It's offensive for me to even call him this, this magician, this sorcerer, right? And so as they go to the proconsul, um, this magician opposes them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, and it gets real serious real quick here, it says, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and we went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now, real quick, does anyone find any commonality with this story to another one we may have heard recently? Another one in Acts? 
Anything similar? Right. What happens in this story? So Saul, who's also Paul, and we get, by the way, we get introduced as soon as Paul now. God doesn't like change his name or, you know, or the Holy Spirit doesn't tell them to call him that now. Paul's just his Greek name. It would have been like where he grew up. He was around Hellenists all the time. That's why he's comfortable going to Hellenists. It's like um, if they're playing soccer in the street or something, which I'm sure they had it then, whatever. They're playing soccer in the street. His buddies, his Greek buddies, would call him Paul. And then when his mom called him into dinner, she would call him Saul. So it's, it's just his name. It's not a special, overly special spiritual thing, except Hellenists would call him that, and it would be probably special to him because that's what Greeks would call Paul, just for the sake of it. But sorry, you were saying, what happens to Saul when he meets Jesus then? He's blinded for three days for persecuting. Right. And what does Jesus say to him? Do we remember? It's okay, help her, help her, because it's, it's been a while. Why do you persecute me? And then Saul answers, who, who are you that I'm persecuting? Who, who is this? I don't remember persecuting you, blinding light of a person, right? And then what does the answer back? It is me, Jesus, who you're persecuting, right? Sounds a lot like, why are you making crooked paths that are straight sounds a lot a lot like why are you keeping people from hearing truth right why are you persecuting me it's it's so interesting to me that that paul come across comes across this man doing very similar things to what he started our story started our introduction to him as doing right he's going and rounding up these new believers, and he's putting them in prison, right? He's allowing people to murder them. He's allowing them to be persecuted. He goes with a letter to go get certain people, and I have the authority now to take these people with me and put them in prison, right? And, and Jesus comes to him on the road and says, why are you persecuting me, and blinds him, right? He can't see. He has to be led around, remember? He doesn't eat or drink for three days. Then Saul, Paul now, is what he's being called in this place, comes across this, this opportunity, this, this wonderful experience to get to talk to this Greek leader that answers only to the Senate. He is, he is at the height, he, he's, he's succeeding, and he's important in this area, in this region. And he has the opportunity to go share the gospel with him, right? So he goes and does this, and this magician is in the way. This magician is trying to stop this guy from hearing the word of the Lord. And Paul answers as he knows how to and says, absolutely not. It is Jesus you are persecuting. Stop making these paths crooked. You're blind now. (laughs) The word of the Lord, the hand of the Lord is coming on you. See how this goes, right? And he's blinded for some time. Now, we don't know what happens to this magician after. We don't know if he comes to faith at all. This is the end of that part of the story. We don't know if he fasts for three days like Paul. We don't know if someone comes to teach the word to him any more than that. We know he's blinded because of something very similar to what happened to Saul. A very unique story that, that nearly mirror each other. But what happens to the proconsul? 
when he sees this, what happens? Believes. Believes. Right? Believes. And, and right away, we have this beautiful open door and this wonderful experience of the Holy Spirit sending these people, sending these men. They, they find this opportunity to teach to someone at this, at this position. And this proconsul believes. He says, yes, you just blinded my friend from making crooked a straight path. This sounds like something that I'll, I'll go with this. Let's, let's turn to this faith. Let's see how this goes, right? And continuing, proconsul believes when he saw that what was occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Now Paul and his companions set sail for Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the Law and the Prophets, the ruler of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up, motioning with his hands, and he began to speak. Before we go into this, it's a long exchange they had, or a long kind of sermon or teaching or, or discourse he gives. And before we get into it, though, I want us to again notice something fairly, unfortunately, fairly normal. Paul and his companions set sail. They, they go on from there. And then one of the guys leaves, right? Do, do you remember which one it just says? It's John. John Mark is this person's name. Do we know anything else about John Mark? We haven't had too much discussion. It's Barnabas' cousin, right? It's family with Barnabas. He's younger, is the understanding. Um, he's a younger guy, cousins with Barnabas. And at this point, for whatever reason, he leaves. Now, right now, we don't know much about that, but in Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas get in such a disagreement or a conflict over John Mark wanting to come back and be with them on the second time that they split up and they don't work together for a while, for years. So whatever happens here makes Paul very angry <laughs> or hurt or upset or whatever. So there's, there's a lot of discussion around it um, and there's not much. People kind of just guess at why. They try to go with Acts 15 and what we find later um, kind of figure out why did John Mark leave. Um, some people think that he left because it was just difficult, right? It was hard. It gets really hard in like half a chapter. And it's very, very difficult and they have find persecution and all this. But some people think he just, it just wasn't as exciting as they thought it would be. He's young or whatever, so he leaves. Some people think, well, no, he goes because something happens back with his family or he goes to have a family or whatever else, something like that. Other people think there's some strange thing going on with he's upset because it's supposed to be Barnabas' trip and then Paul finds success, but there's nothing to say about that. But for whatever reason, he leaves. And for whatever the reason, Paul didn't think he should leave. And so they have this like tiff about it. And it causes a serious problem later. And again, I, I talk about these stories because they're just normal people. They're normal people who the three of them or four of them or ten of them who go out are great friends and it's exciting and they're going to change the world, right? 
They're going, the Holy Spirit has called them out. They've seen this beauty. They're leaving this church that's supportive and wonderful and diverse, the only one like it possibly in the world. And they're, they're sent. They're going to do these things. They meet the proconsul early on, and these Jewish guys get to teach to someone in the height of their position, and they find success, and it's beautiful. They blind this evil guy trying to hurt their message. It's, it's wonderful, right? It's exciting. It's good. It's successful. And in the midst of that, as people are, and a group of four dudes can be, often, there's a problem, some sort of argument, something that can't get worked out, and one of them goes home. Because I'm, I'm done. This is too hard, or I don't like this, or it's not what I thought, or I have business to attend to, or wh- whatever else it may be. And then later, in 15, and we'll talk about it more then, later wants to come back, and Paul can't get over it. He says, no, he's not welcome. I'm not going if he's going. I can't, I can't do this with him. We're not, we're not doing this together. No, I don't think he should get to go. And Barnabas, who they've had all this experience with and all this time, says, yes, of course, he's my cousin. He's coming. Like, I want him to go. And they cannot find common ground on it, and they split off. And Paul goes somewhere with someone else. Barnabas goes in. And maybe that's wonderful. Maybe that allows them to have efforts in two places, right? Maybe that's great. Maybe that's wonderful and intended and beautiful and all those things. But it doesn't seem so in the midst of it when they're real people. When they're just normal people trying to figure it out. They're trying to listen to the Holy Spirit. They're just trying to make their way in this new ground of taking the gospel to other cultures. And man, I I just can't get away from this week That is so, first of all, sad and frustrating, but also refreshing to me as also a very normal, if that, person. Just as someone in this small church that's just trying to make our way of it and try to figure out how to take the kingdom of heaven that's at hand and give it to our neighbor and hand it to them and say, this is graspable, like, White knuckle have this. This is wonderful. Please have it with me. Do this together with us. We're trying to make our way of that. Trying to figure out what it means to have community. And so we go drink beer together at Dudes and Brews, and it's real fun until it's at high sign and no one can find it. And it's still great, right? <laughs> and we, we're trying to figure out how to have communion with each other as women. And you go to Barton Springs, and it's like 117 degrees, and the line is super long, and it's like... I just want to see my friends. What the heck is going on? That was Lily's response the other day. But it was great. Y'all were very kind. and went and got her from line. And we're super sweet to her. And whoever said, Lily's about to bail, if no one comes, you were right. She was about to leave. You got her. But you know what I mean? That's who we are. We're trying to figure this out. We're trying to figure out, how do you, what are we doing with this? How does this work? How do restore groups work together, really? Who do we serve? What are we called to? Where are we being sent to, right? So we try some things, and some things go extraordinarily well, and we're so proud and happy about it, and we think, oh, the world is changing in our midst, and it's wonderful. And then sometimes we try things, it's okay, it's all right, you know? Kind of is not awesome, or it's sort of awesome. We're trying to learn how to pray as an us, and we're trying to figure it out. And it's difficult to not pray individually in a group of people. That's what we do. And it's hard to figure those things out. And we're just 
trying to make our way. And along the way, we will have disputes, and we will have conflict, and we will just do what seems best to us. Maybe Luke doesn't write that the Holy Spirit directed them in a dream to go to the synagogue to teach. Right? Maybe the Holy Spirit did that. Or maybe they just did what seemed best. And they thought they should go to the synagogue. They would find commonality. They might even get a chance to speak the word of Jesus there. So let's go to the synagogue. Maybe it just made sense to them. In the midst of of doing whatever they could, listening to the Holy Spirit, being directed loudly at times, and then other times being directed sort of by, this is my tradition. I do the synagogue, so I'm going to go to it. They find this wonderful opportunity to go talk to the proconsul. In the midst of that, Paul gets this word from the Lord, or he just chooses to blind the guy, right? (laughs) Blind this magician. Proconsul believes. Everyone's excited. They go to this next town. John Mark says, I can't do this, and goes. And again, it's, it's beautiful that they're just people. They really are. They're young, and they don't have any experience doing this. It's the first time they're trying this in like a purposeful way, and they just are trying to make their way. And we are there with them. So as we we read more of these in the next weeks, as we read this discourse next week, it's long and wonderful and it's good and the the conversations that happen afterwards with them are really intriguing and it's beautiful. But as we start doing that, as we sort through what happens when they go to Iconium and Lystra, Lystra's an exciting place, as as they make their way through this world, remember that they're really we have more commonality with them than we think we do. Yes, they did amazing spiritual things. Yes, they devoted themselves to teaching and prayer and sharing and those things, and we are trying to do that. But also, they had conflict and they had arguments. They couldn't decide what to do, so they just did what they felt was best. They listened to the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit directed them, and sometimes they just did what was right. And we are right there, and that's us. And that's okay and great that we are here with them. And so as we read Acts for the next months, for the next month and a half before we take a break, but as we're reading this section of Acts, just remember we are right there with them. All right? That this is, we could hear this, and this could be our story. In fact, some of it, as we go, will sound very much like our ridiculousness and our story. But... As we're going, remember that. And we'll, we'll start with that on this missionary journey, okay? So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll continue in time of communion. God, we just want to trust that ordinary people were a part of a wonderful story. That very normal people did extraordinary things because they listened to the Spirit of God and were directed by you. And we want to find that as well. I know in our workplaces, we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. That in our neighborhoods, we want to feel like and understand and be convinced that you placed us there. That you sent us there. We want to trust as we go to soccer practice with our kids or book club at our library or 
Barton Springs, that we were sent to those places. And God, we want our eyes wide open because we, like these men, are just <laughs> unashamedly normal. And God, I pray that we, in finding that commonality, would find peace to believe there, that we would find the truth that you are guiding us now, that we would find um, a rhythm in our families and our lives that, that is in tune with the Holy Spirit of God. And God, too, we, we ask that you would not allow us to be people who make straight ways crooked, for sure. In Jesus' name.